The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Father, we thank you for the privilege of drawing near to you and for the truth that we just sang that you are Lord of all. The one that we draw near to is tender and eager to welcome us and reigns. We're grateful for that. We say thank you. And we acknowledge that as we've heard last week and this week, you reign even over the most intimate place in many people's lives. You, you reign in the kitchens and living rooms and bedrooms in the hearts and minds of their, of their most intimate relationships, families, and even in marriages. And so you're going to teach us about that, what, what you call us to, what you command. And I pray that you would be clear about that today for our correction and for our encouragement. I want to ask you, Lord, also that as you teach about that, what you call us to and command us to, that, that through that and particularly at the end of that, Lord, don't leave us just under the burden of law, but would you show us something of your grace that helps us to keep what you call us to? Would you speak? We're in all different places here, Lord. Probably, probably some of us come from every point on the spectrum in thinking about marriage. They, Longing for it one day, single and looking forward to it, in it and enjoying it, in it and troubled by it. There's a lot of places on the spectrum. We're all in different spots. Will you meet us and encourage us? And particularly this morning, will you speak to men, husbands? Speak to us, Lord. So open up this word and teach us, we pray. Build your church for our good and for your glory. Amen. Over the last three weeks, we've been looking at the end of 1 Peter chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3, considering how it is that Christians are to be subject to the various authorities and the various human institutions in which we find ourselves. We're all in different places all the time. But first, we looked at the civic realm with the call to be subject to government. And then we considered the workplace subject to bosses and management. And then last week, home and marriage specifically with Christian wives called to be subject to their own husbands. Talked about what that attitude might look like and especially what God might do with it. What his, what his aim is in that calling. He intends to use this conduct uh, which is of a different and, and difficult response to authority. He intends to use that conduct to draw husbands to himself to win them. So wives are are thinking of themselves as as in marriage, on mission, like every Christian is everywhere that we find ourselves. We're there for purpose, on mission. Wives, subject to husbands, is used by God to draw husbands to himself and those who might watch and actually to draw wives to himself too. 
into a deeper dependence on him. The hardships and challenges of living under authority, particularly the authority of a human husband, it's going to highlight the need for hope in God to be the one who provides, to be the one who protects, be the one who defends in the face of fearful realities that always come with living, not in charge. We're all familiar with that in the various places where we are subject to authority, but wives in particular are vulnerable, which brings us to today's passage. 1 Peter 3, verse 7, which is only one verse, so it's shorter. But when understood, it's got just as much challenge in it for the Christian husband as the previous six verses did for the Christian wife. And furthermore, as we think about that challenge and kind of understand what it is, it's not only meant to be challenged to the Christian husband, but it should actually be seen as an encouragement to the Christian wife because it's, it's actually a way that God defends her, takes up her cause. God, God sees how sin in men might kind of tip the scales and get things out of balance. He set up this marriage relationship with, with an authority and submission structure for lots of good reasons, but he recognizes that, that sin in men might tip the scales. So, if you will, God kind of puts his thumb on the, on the scale to kind of balance things back out a little bit. That's what this passage is doing, reminding us and, and encouraging, I think, Christian wives, I'm not in this alone, and reminding Christian husbands, you're not in this alone. And there's a warning there that we'll come to at the end. But as I prayed, I hope that we don't end on warning, but that we end on encouragement because God actually has a sweet plan here that he wants to help us walk into men. So that's what we're going to look at today. Let me read just verse 7, and then I'm going to draw three observations from it. 1 Peter 3, verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Just one verse. Three observations from it. Here's the first. God calls a Christian husband to pursue knowledgeable relationship with his wife. God calls a Christian husband to pursue knowledgeable relationship with his wife. Verse 1 begins, likewise. This is, this is the flip side of the, the comparison of husband-wife like we saw last week. There's a pair, not the same commands, but they're related. So wives last week and husbands, here's for you. And again, like last week, this is not about all men and all women. It's about a particular marriage, a husband and his wife. That's what's being discussed here. And the call is, live with your wives in an understanding way. One husband with his wife, who may or may not be a Christian herself. Odds are that she is. And that's certainly the way the passage leans, as we'll, as we'll notice. But there's a phrase here that, coming up that reminds us that this is a call, and, and many things that are going to be said here apply to all wives. So if you're, if you're a Christian husband and, and your wife is not a Christian or you're not sure if she is, much of what's here is still going to apply and still going to be helpful for you. It's still God's call to you. Live with your wife in an understanding way. Some translations put it, be considerate. 
which is fine as long as we understand that we're not just talking about be nice, be kind, or something like that. What's, what's emphasized here, what it literally says is, according to knowledge. This is leaning pretty heavily into knowing things. And not just in the head, not just a head knowledge, but knowing things in, a, in an applied way. Life that accords with what you know. Things understood and lived out. Like what? Well, it doesn't say exactly. But surely the answer is knowledge of everything relevant to living with her. Surely that's got to be what he means. Which friends of mine, friends of mine, have told me is sometimes challenging. Other people say that. I have been told that it is difficult to understand women in general and one's wife in particular. Of course, I have also been told that the other is true. We do sometimes seem to live on different planets. People have written books about these things, right? But other people tell me that it is hard to understand. And we can chuckle over that, but there's some truth to it. But there's a problem here, is that sometimes we say that, chuckle, and leave it there. I get that, but do you see that we're not allowed to leave it there? Challenging as it may be, surely the commands include understanding one's wife. It has to. Not completely and not perfectly. Sometimes when we get hung up on this and, and feel kind of stuck, we're thinking completely and perfectly. And, and we feel a sense of futility. Well, that's never going to happen. But you can understand her well and better. What does she aspire to and long for? What are her goals? What are her fears? What frustrates her or crushes her into despair? What interests her or gives her rest or delight? What is she good at and what is she not good at? What's the baggage from her past that tends to get the better of her, especially if she carries it alone? What does she beat herself up over or take pride in? What did she set aside time to do or try like anything to avoid? Where is she spiritually and what's her trajectory? What, what, is, what do you think God's maybe doing in her life and, and what do you think your role in it could be? What could it be? You don't have to know perfectly, you don't have to know completely, but something like that. Chances are you actually know a fair bit of that already. I mean, I just listed out a bunch of things and if you thought through that list with me just quickly there, you probably thought, I know some stuff in those categories. Of course you do, and you could know it better, and you could know more of it if you spent any amount of effort studying her, considering her. Now, the oddity of this sort of sermon is that I have to say, I'm not talking about what my friends say, I'm talking about myself, of course, and I've got a whole ton of room to grow in this, okay? I am not saying, I am the one who's figured this out. You all need to get in line. By no means. By no means. Let none of this come across that way. I'm, I've got a lot of room to grow. 
But here it is. We have to know her, husbands. And she lives right there, right? I mean, she's pretty easily accessible and pretty easily observable. She's right there. But that's not all we have to know. We also have to know and understand God and God's word as he speaks on what marriage is, what it's supposed to be, what he, what he means for it to be, what his purposes are. How does he view what marriage is? We know what our culture says about things, but God's purposes and, and principles in marriage are what? what? What is this built on? What are we after? Where do we find the power to do that? How is it that that we have our, our respective roles and responses. What are they, in fact, and how do we live them out, and how do, we, how do we together point towards hoping in God rather than in one another? To understand many of these things, you probably already get some idea of it. You probably know some things, but the study and consideration of God's Word would help you grow in understanding. We must have knowledge. But if you notice the structure of the phrase, the opening phrase of the verse, if you notice the structure carefully, the command is not to acquire knowledge. It's to live in a way that accords with the knowledge. There's a big difference there. I have to know. I've got, I've got to understand. But I have to live. I have to relate. We have to do something that accords with what we know. We have to live this out. And since the very, 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 very beginning, this has always been our big problem. Adam knew plenty of stuff. Adam knew enough while he watched Satan strike up a conversation with his wife and deceive her. The problem was not knowledge. The problem was living in the knowledge in a way that accords with what he knows. He shrunk back into passivity, and that is often our challenge. We have to know our wives well enough but we also have to live out the knowledge of that. And in the end, I think what that points, points out in us is that the problem is not at the end a knowledge problem. The problem is actually a heart problem. I know, but don't. I understand, but don't. We're called to live with her and to relate to her, to engage with her knowledgeably, to pursue a relationship, not to avoid, miss her, or at worst, dismiss her. Living solo, kind of under the same roof, but living solo. Again, I've got a lot of room, a lot of room to be different in this category, but here it is, the first point to us is that we're called husbands to live with the wife given to you, understanding and living in accordance with what you know. And when you find yourself not wanting to realize that's something in here, that's something that has given up the love of her and replaced it with the love of me, that's a gospel problem. To live with her in an understanding way. And secondly, God calls a Christian husband to bestow honor on his wife. God calls a Christian husband to bestow honor on his wife. Bestowing is the next verb idea in this, 
in this sentence, in this one verse. Sometimes it's translated showing. It's about giving a real honor to her, placing a real honor on her, which of course does involve showing it privately as well as publicly. Private honoring would include things like speaking or acting in a way that takes everything from the first point, everything that you know about her, everything you know about what God's plan is for Mary, it takes it all into consideration so that you know her and you respect her and you value her, you don't disdain her weaknesses, you don't belittle her, you don't overlook her, but you instead lift her up and you acknowledge what's good and you do not treat with contempt what is wrong. Essentially, you got to think, in whatever way she would hear this, I have to say to her, you are valuable to God and you are valuable to me. you gotta, you got to say that in a way she'll hear it and understand it, privately and in public, behind her back in public. So that other people hear and other people know what he thinks of her is he thinks she is wonderful, honorable, good. She's not the ball and chain, not the old lady. She's an honored wife, a companion to this guy. People need to know that. And he doesn't think her irrelevant or foolish. People need to know that, and she needs to hear secondhand that people know that you think that about her. That's part of bestowing honor in public. And we do that for two reasons that are listed here. We bestow honor for two reasons. And depending on which translation you're reading, the the original language puts two things here in parallel, but the different English translations trying to make it into something readable put it in different ways. Using the, the ESV, which I'm reading, it says, the first reason, as the weaker vessel, and the second reason, since, which is literally also as, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. So weaker vessel, heir with you. Those are the two reasons. And a weaker vessel have to acknowledge, it, it sounds a little bit, maybe a little bit insulting. It just creates a little bit of tension when you say that, especially when you say it about somebody else. You're weaker. Mm. There is nothing meant here, nothing meant to be insulting, and there's, because there's nothing here about value. Silver and steel, both are shiny. Silver is weaker than steel, but not less valuable. We've, we've got two different elements, two different vessels here, a male and a female, a masculine and the feminine one. That's the word translated uh, as woman or the feminine one. It, it's, this, it's this word that's talking about the sex. Not the male, but the female. Not less valuable, just different. Show honor as the weaker vessel to this feminine one, the womanly one. One's weaker. We're going to talk about what that means in a second, but it's helpful to, to kind of hold on this for just a minute. The first reason here has to do with her sex. The fact that she's female. Not that she's this or that sort of a person that she's gifted in this way. You don't bestow honor on her because she's like really good at this. You don't bestow honor on her because she, has, she thinks in this sort of way. That's incredibly important. And if you're listening to this as a woman, that should be incredibly freeing because 
That's incredibly important because what happens if she doesn't have those gifts or she loses those gifts? Or what if the thing you really most admired about her, Alzheimer's, steals from her? You still honor her because that wasn't the reason you honored her in the first place. You honor her because she is a woman, not a talented woman, because of what she is, not what she does. This is really important. The weaker vessel of the two, the feminine one, is honored because she is the feminine one. Weaker in what ways? Well, it doesn't exactly say. But if we step away from, for a second, from anything kind of in our minds like chauvinistic or feministic, it's not really that hard to understand it because it exists in a context. The first and easiest context right away is verse 7 follows verses 1 to 6. One of these two vessels has been placed in a position of authority, and one of these two vessels has been placed in a position of being submissive. And this is the weaker spot. Government and citizens, who's weaker? Boss and employer, who's weaker? Husband and wife, who's weaker? Because of the authority structure. There's a weakness there. There's a vulnerability. That's the first and most obvious way he's thinking of weaker. There's a vulnerability in that I am beneath somebody who is in authority. But secondly, there's another really obvious one which we all kind of walk around and notice, the physical. God gave male and female bodies and made them as they are. And while we can always find exceptions to this, Husbands are almost always stronger than their wives and usually bigger. And muscle and mass is the root of strength. You can do more with more muscle and more mass. And muscle and mass is also the root of perceived strength. Or another way around that, it's the root of intimidation. Men, we notice this too. Like, I'm, I'm a thin guy. I notice this when I walk around. I bump into a guy who is not thin, and I feel a little bit, you know, just a little bit, not because I really think he's going to punch me, <laughs> but just a little bit. And I have to kind of like ask myself, why? Why? Because muscle and mass is intimidating. It just is. And sometimes we feel that, men. But sometimes those of us who are women say, welcome to my world. I walk around noticing that. I live in my house noticing that. Everybody feels bigger and stronger, more muscle and more mass. She is, the feminine one is weaker physically speaking. And there are probably also a bunch of other related little things here, kind of that stem from those two things, things like weaker in the area of privileges. A husband can walk outside by himself at night and not worry about it. Usually that's true. A husband may feel the freedom to make a financial decision, so on and so on. That, that's all strength, too. And then maybe finally at the end, it's worth pointing out the one that sometimes people think of first, emotionally. Sometimes women are more emotional than men. Not always. I know plenty of emotional men, but sometimes. 
And there is a vulnerability in that, particularly when it comes to external challenges. Men more easily button up and face things than some women do. So maybe that's in there too somewhere. But all that together is a package of weakness, which is not less value, it's just different. There's an authority position. There's a physical strength issue. There are some cultural and societal privileges or opportunities. And maybe there's an emotional makeup piece to that. Maybe. That's the feminine package. And silver compared to steel, it's a little bit weaker. It bends differently. It's not less valuable. But because your wife is that, God commands you to show her honor in all the ways we just talked about. Passing on your strength to her, so to speak. Loaning her some of your authority. Kind of stepping towards her to kind of balance the scale yourself. Intentionally recognizing, I know she's weaker, so I'm going to give her some of my muscle and some of my mass. That's like God does. God loves to show favor. God loves to bestow honor on the underdog. Does he not always, always love to lift up that which is weak? He has a heart for the widow, orphan, sojourner, right? He has a constant heart for the one who is in society looking uphill. He kind of leans to take that one's side. We should too, husbands, regardless of whether or not she's a Christian. This can be a remarkable blessing to her and to your family and a witness to the world as you do marriage and you wield authority. You see, the problem that we face here is that the world wants to say, all of that can go wrong, and so therefore we want to take all that out. We want to pretend that women are not weaker in all these ways. Pretend that women are not weaker in all these ways. They are. We want to declare them to be equal, identical, the same. We declare that, pretend we don't notice the differences. And then we will fight with law to try to make that be. And a remarkable different pattern is to say, no, 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 no. We recognize this. We recognize the weakness. But it doesn't get exploited. It doesn't get damaging. It, it actually becomes beautiful because this one wields authority to bestow honor in an understanding way and to lift up. It's sweet. It's, it's like the authority of God, in fact. Authority that is real but is used to lift up the... It is a testimony that the world does not understand. But we are uniquely positioned to live out. regardless of whether or not she's a Christian. This is very much like Christ and can be a testimony to her and to others who watch. But the second reason that we bestow honor is because she is a Christian. Seeing that she is an heir with you of the grace of life. She's a co-heir. Not an heir through you, with you. Her, her line to God does not run through you. It's a direct one on her own. She's a Christian. She doesn't depend on you for relationship with him. His love for her then is direct, not passed through you. He hears her prayers directly, not just yours. He looks on her directly full of love, not just you. 
And so every husband must really clearly understand and keep in mind that chapter 1 of 1 Peter is written about her just as much as about him. So you walk back through chapter 1 and, and, and you see she in particular is one who has God's heart. She in particular was one known by him from before the foundation of the world. He sent the Spirit to pursue her and set her aside and made covenant with her. He's carrying her all the way forward towards an inheritance that he is keeping for her in heaven. Maybe it's helpful to put your wife's name right in there and say, like, all of these things that I was kind of thinking about as Christians and all of them that I kind of directly applied to me, they are her. She has an inheritance. God is holding her and carrying her home to him. She looks, he looks on her as a beloved daughter. Not just my wife. His. If, if you, I, I really think that I, I talk with lots of Christian men who would, ne- would never think of arguing about this, but never really think about this. One day, you're not going to be married. Jesus taught there's no marriage in heaven. One day, we're not going to be married, and we're going to stand right beside this one, and it will be just the same when we both together, side by side, look on the Lord, and he looks on us. And I wonder in that moment, will you think, sorry. And will she say, yeah, you probably should be. Not angry, because we're in heaven. But will we kind of realize, I thought of you like a little bit like the junior partner. That was wrong. I mean, I knew you weren't. I read that. But that's how I kind of thought of it, really. Head of the home, and you're the junior partner. And now I realize, actually, we were co-heirs. Same level. Hmm. Didn't actually fully understand that concept. Put yourself there and now wind back and realize what he's trying to say is all of the stuff of chapter 1, the glorious inheritance kept, etc., etc., that's her just as much as it is you. She's equal co-heir with you. Is there authority here? Absolutely, of course. We've just been talking about that. But that does not mean different value. That is, at the same time, one in authority, one submissive, co-heirs equal in value. Equally beloved, equally looked upon by God. And he is actively thinking about how to grow and mature and keep her. He is living with her in an understanding way. He bestows honor on her. He gives his Holy Spirit to intervene in her life, to do good to her, to bless her and grow her up. He intervenes in her life by his Spirit to defend her cause against all comers. That's what he does with his people. That means that if you're one of the ones that needs to be defended against, you're on the wrong side of the equation. 
Which brings us to the third point. God warns Christian husbands of discipline if they will not lead like this in love. God warns Christian husbands of discipline if they will not lead like this in love. So you live with understanding, bestow honor, end of the verse, so that, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Flip that around. If you don't live within us anyway, don't bestow honor, then your prayers will be hindered, obstructed, blocked. Your prayers either will or will not get through to God based upon how you respond to the first part of this verse. If you don't respond, your prayers will be hindered by God. Let's be clear about that and understand that. Not just hindered by circumstances or happenstance, hindered by God. This is an example of God taking her side. And don't think, I, I use. I use these seven verses a lot in conversations with many, many, many other people. And what I sometimes find is not only that there's a discrepancy in the first six verses in length versus verse seven, but sometimes I find we come to the end here and I've kind of loaded it up like this with the idea of warning and I come to the end and both the husband and the wife say, that's it? Prayers are hindered? My prayer life is not that great to start with, so I don't think I'm really going to miss anything. Or, that's it? Like, I thought you, what you were going to find is you're going to, like, strike him, but he's just going to say, like, you know, your prayers aren't going to work. He never prays. Big deal. Like, you led, this, you led me to the end. I thought you said God was going to protect me. That, and then all that is is your prayers are hindered. That's a vast misunderstanding. We need to read the Bible in the Bible's eyes. What the Bible means, what God means, who wrote this, God views this as, in, in Bible thinking, prayer is the only way that any communion ever happens with God. And prayer is the only way that any Christian gets anything meaningful and lasting done ever in the world. We can read the words on the page of the Bible, but unless God, we commune with God over them and God speaks them into our hearts, we remain unchanged. We can work and labor and try to put something together, but unless God builds the house, we labor in vain. Apart from him, we can do a fair bit. No. Apart from him, we can do nothing. You can work and labor and try hard and, and put together all kinds of marvelous plans and structure beautiful sermons and put together a really tight Bible study and you can go to work and you can, you can go to bed late and you can get up early and you can go on and on and on. 
And what this is saying is God's going to say, Have at it, son. See what comes of that, son. And he calls you son with maybe a little bit of edge in it, but you are his son. We're going to come to that. But God says, and when you realize, apart from you, I can do nothing, and you, and you fall down, you cry out, God, help. My life is, is ah. you call it God, help. He's going to say, hello, hello. I think we have a bad connection. How are you doing with your wife? Work on that connection, then call back. Click. Because we don't have anything else to talk about, son, until you figure out step one. Because I have some kind of a heart for my daughter. And I've noticed something about how you're interacting with her. And it's not right, son. This is the loving discipline of a good father. He's not, he's not talking about this. No, no, he's not. But I'm talking to men here, and we all know that sometimes we need a little bit of a, just sometimes. And that's good for us. That's good for us. Just a little bit of a, hey, hey. That's what he's trying to do here. I, I don't have anything, you don't have anything to talk to me about until you attended to the first things first. And what I told you was, my daughter is in your care. You are an under-shepherd of her. I'm really concerned about her. So we don't have anything to talk about about your work, about your ministry, until you attend to my daughter. And if you don't, your prayers will be hindered. Which means your communion with me will be hindered, and your access to my spirit will be hindered, and your access to my power will be hindered. That's the discipline of God, which, remember, sons, remember, sons, comes from love for your good. It may feel a little bit like that. It sometimes has to for men. But it does not come with dismissive anger and frustration and I get out of my sight. It is not like that. Even if there's a little bit of a, hey, hey. He is the Lord. He sees and knows and lives with her in an understanding way and he said to you, lead her in love. That's job one. So be warned about that. Be alert to that and aware of it. But then right next to that, and this is where we have to end, because every word from God to his sons and daughters, every word from God to his sons ends here. Beware of the warning, but do not forget his grace. You've just heard a lot, and I've just kind of tried to put a little bit of, into it, You've just heard a lot about law, and the law is good. It is righteous, it's right, it's what God requires of us. The law is good, but it's also daunting and impossible without his grace. Only one person ever could say, I hear that 
yes, Father, I will do it, and then did it. Jesus alone heard God's law about loving the lowly, well, the weak, and the vulnerable of all sorts, bestowing honors on, on others, and he did it and alone perfectly kept the law towards women and children and widows and orphans and sojourners and sons alike. Yes. And then was crucified as if he hadn't in our place. He alone kept the law, and he paid for our law-breaking. And so you've been set free from the burden of the failure, which perhaps you kind of, you work through the last 35 or 40 minutes, you'd say like, you're set, you're set free from the burden of that failure. And as an heir of the grace of life, what that means is that not just her, you. He loves you just as much as he loves her, your co. And he's made you an heir of life, and that begins now. He's raised you to walk in a new life. And when you look at this law and you say, I can't help, he then says, oh, that's what you want to talk about? Absolutely, let's talk. And the floodgates open up, and his power comes to you, and you find yourself able to do what you can't do. Perfectly? No. Better, yes. Because the flip side of this is when you pursue this, your prayers are not hindered. Your prayers are heard. If you pursue loving leadership like this and your prayers are heard and its power flows to you and he enables you to walk in newness of life right now. This is a good thing. This is a good thing. We, we need to hear, the, the, I think, the heat of it in the beginning, but we always have to end on the, and God is our help. So that does not remove the, I don't have anything to do. No, it, it actually says, you have this to do, and he'll help you walk into it increasingly so. God calls us as husbands if you're a Christian husband, God calls you to live with your wife in an understanding way, to bestow honor on her as a woman, to recognize that she's an heir of the grace of life right with you, and to turn to God for power to help you do that. And when you do, he'll show up, and you'll find this is masculinity, and it's awesome. And she'll think the same. Let's pray. Lord, will you help us who are men in particular, help us who are husbands, to pick up what you call us to and, and then to walk it out. We need your help for that, so please draw near. If there's... If there's spots where we, we all, everybody here gets to acknowledge some gap between what you call us to and what we do, what we are, where repentance is appropriate, lead us in that. And remind us that even, the, even in the stern call, it's coming from love and you are eager to help. So Father, speak please and move us and would you make our marriages here in our church something that is sweet, that recognizes your model, but is sweet. 
for men and women both and a witness to the world about what you intend marriage to be, a picture of Christ in the church. Thank you, Lord. We trust this to you and trust ourselves to you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.